We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Wednesday, the 16th day of February, the year of our Lord, 2022. I am Johnny Anderson, alongside the fan favorite, Marty Foster. Unfortunately, Bruce is not able to be with us today. Hopefully, he'll have a chance to uh, to step in uh, here towards the end. Possibly, I'm not sure. I know that he really wanted to be here today, but we get Marty today. It's just Marty and myself. Marty, it's not often that you and I get to do a podcast by ourselves. It's been quite a while since uh since um, you and i've done that how are you by it, the way? it has been i'm 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 not too bad my friend thank you very much for asking um i i miss bruce not being here because i i do enjoy his expression um when i might have a little dig at you every now and again but you know this will be just like one of our chats that we used to have over our gaming channels while we were busily laying waste to vast quantities of enemies digitally that's true. obviously that's true. yeah you know, I um, often wonder some days when we have phone calls, I'm thinking to myself that ones that go on for 45 minutes to an hour, I'm like, why aren't we recording this? You know, just a phone call. We missed an opportunity, didn't we, in some of those conversations, uh, particularly uh, if if it was in, in the, the group channel and uh, there were strangers amongst us and I got the chance to to let rip. Never mind these roast battles that they have on TV now. We, we certainly gave as good as we got, if not slightly better in in most cases but yeah i, I don't know what i'm going to do when you euphemistically go and feed your cat later i'm not going to do a monologue so so we we might just have to cut there and and uh splice it back in afterwards i mean i've not seen a cat at your place so it has to be a euphemism what what do you well, actually do when you slip if he, off <laughs> if he, if he strolls in here i'll uh I'll, I'll bring him up here so we can say hi uh, but if he, I, I know, I know here. Bruce has got pets. I've seen those. I, yeah. I, I can only assume that, that you're using it as some kind of excuse to engage in something else. No, but, okay. No, well, I, well, I assure no, you. He is sure? on a. He is on a. I'm positive. He is on a strict feeding schedule. He gets breakfast. He gets lunch. He gets first dinner, and then he gets a second dinner, and then he gets a midnight snack. Well, the dog I look after during the course of most working days is a lovely animal. But he's yeah, is very Reggie? fussy. Reggie's fine, but he hasn't eaten today. I've never known a dog like it. I'm used to Labradors and gun dogs that as soon as you put the plate of food down, it's gone. Whereas Reggie will look at it and go, well, is that the best you can do? And then wander off. Uh, and and he won't eat anything unless someone's in the room with him. I think he's got uh, an inbuilt fear of choking or something that he, he won't eat unless you're in the room with him. Anyway, I'm sure our listeners don't really want to hear about our pets, but um, just to prove we're human, that, that there is a human side to us. It's getting um, ready to say it do... humanizes us. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? Has that got another connotation? What, humanizing us? No, when people <clears throat> listen to us, I mean, I, I've had people tell me before, they're, they're like, I can't believe that you're actually answering an email that I sent you. And I'm like, 
I'm just a person. I'm just the average guy. Like you see me walking out on the street. I'm just the average person. I mean, I'm not, I'm not anything special. And I guess people look at it as as we're we're a couple of guys that are on uh, a like a podcasting platform on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts on uh, Amazon Echo devices and all that stuff, and we're listened to around the world by uh, by many loyal, wonderful listeners that care about what average Joes have to say, uh, and they think that we're just some kind of. Um, I don't know, micro celebrity, maybe that maybe that's the right word or something. And I kind of laugh at that. I kind of laugh at that. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm nothing of the sort. I, I just want all this stuff to stop so we can go back to the podcast we wanted to make in the first place. We wanted to make podcasts about improving your life, your family's life and your community. That's what it was all about. That's what we wanted to do primarily. But you have to play the hand you're dealt. And fairly rapidly, we got dealt this absolutely abhorrent hand the, the World Economic Forum, the Davos Group, the New World Order, whatever you want to call them, the, the globalist elites have decided that we're going to suffer. So, yeah, we have to play that hand for now. But, yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to getting back to being able to talk about subjects that people can have a, an immediate direct influence over if, if something's not quite right. Whereas at the moment, because it's a global conspiracy against us it takes a global uh reaction and at the moment it's finally getting there with australia with canada with uh, france in germany here in the uk it's starting but it, it it still needs to grow in strength and until it does we'll have to keep pointing things out to people i'm afraid that's true. And one of the things we wanted to point out, uh, especially today, I, I ran this topic past you a couple of days ago when we spoke on the phone. I said, let's talk about something a little bit different. We still want to keep to the topics of the day, of course, and we can do that. But I thought, since it was just going to be the two of us this evening, you being an intelligence analyst, I thought, why not discuss the topic of game theory. What is game theory? Because a lot of people probably equate that to, I don't know, board games or, or video games or something like that. And that's not really what it is. You can use that term and you can apply it to it or even the tabletop stuff. You can apply it to that. And it would probably do you uh, very well because it's all about strategy. But game theory in a sense that we're going to discuss it today, it's about more. It's a, it's about uh, the overall strategy of how both sides are going to play on all these different agendas that we see. So I, I pulled some definitions here because I'm not a mathematician, right? When you start getting into like game theory and stuff, that's where a lot of mathematicians and, and analysts such as yourself start to get in and really get your minds working. And this is something that I really wanted to, to familiarize myself with deeper. Before COVID, I had all kinds of things lined up, uh, all kinds of books and stuff lined up that I was actually going to delve into. And once COVID happened, that just kind of all went out the window and I just didn't have time. But I'm familiar with the basics of it. And I thought we could get into uh, into some deeper aspects of it today and we can compare it to what we're dealing with today. So uh, I thought we would start with comparing the... Um, actually, I tell you what, before, before I get into what we're going to compare it with, I thought I would explain exactly what it is. So game theory, by definition, right? Game theory is the study of mathematical models of strategic interactions among rational agents. It has applications in all fields of social science, as well as in logic, system science, and computer science. Now, by exploring the game theory of interacting players following different strategies across simulated generations, science from the Journal of Conflict Resolution, right, which I know the basics of conflict resolution, shows that to survive across time as a minority, you must practice cooperation with your in-group and non-cooperation with your out group. Okay. So I thought based on that, I thought we could 
start our discussion, speaking on this game theory, I thought we could start our discussion on, let's take that exact example. Let's look at cooperation with an in-group and non-cooperation with an out-group. Let's look at vaxxed and unvaxxed. That's a key point where they've tried to divide everybody. So let's look at that agenda. Let's run this out. One of the simulations that uh, that were conducted on this, and I was actually reading about this, was something called Prisoner's Dilemma. That's kind of, that's where, if you're going to start game theory, that's basically where it starts, is you start off with that whole concept of something called a Prisoner's Dilemma. There were several books written on it. Axelrod wrote one in 1984, I believe, uh, and it's a free book out there for anybody that wants it. Uh, you can go to the uh, Internet Archives, the Archives of the Library of Congress, and you can get it for your Kindle if you have one. But basically, uh, players compete for a limited number of resources via different types of interactions. Players are assigned to teams. They spawn, reproduce, and die, and will follow different strategies during the interactions with other players. Now, before I go any further with this, you're familiar with this type of strategy and, and wargaming things out, correct? I mean, you do a lot I've, of different... Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of things in the past. It's not what I do right now. However, every military staff course has a section on it where they they look at the possible enemy actions what the worst case scenario is what are their likely actions and it is modeled because you've got information about what their capabilities are what the weather conditions are likely to be the geography all all of these things that add up to what you can do or what an enemy can do to you they tend to teach this thing called the the OODA loop and for the mo- for the moment i cannot remember what OODA loop stands for but each letter means a part of this strategy to finally come out with your course of action. Uh, and, and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to see what you're up against and come up with an effective course of action to combat the threat. So it's one of the oldest games, but it, I wouldn't say it's the most simple game in chess. In chess, you play four to five moves ahead if you're any good at it. And it's, it's the same within a military context, or in this particular case, a civil political scenario. And it's one of the reasons why SAGE, the special advisory group for the scientific advisory group for the government here in the UK, had more behavioral scientists in it than it did epidemiologists or virologists, because they were looking at what the outcome was going to be long term and what people's reactions were likely to be. So, yeah, I'm very familiar with these theories and and how to apply these theories to make an effective a choice as possible. I think that's one of the things that uh, the people have kind of... um it's kind of escaped them uh, in all of this. If we're looking at the splitting of two groups, then at least from my standpoint, I, I mean, I'm a rational person. I'm, I'm a rational kind of guy. I typically don't rush to decisions on certain things. I like to evaluate my alternatives and then extrapolate out the different possibilities and then make my choice. It might be the wrong choice, but at least it was a choice that I made based on... Hang on a second. Oh, wow. It's a white cat. Has he got ginger on the top of the head? Yeah. Okay. I, I believe you that's, now. Yeah, yeah that's, that's Einstein. I had, I, had a, I had a cat that looked very similar in the UAE. She just decided that she was going to be my cat. She was a feral cat and decided to move into my apartment and, oh, sorry, into my villa and give birth to her kittens. We called her Splodge because she, at first, when we first got her, she was, she'd been eating out of bins and skips and was filthy. But after we'd been feeding her for a while, she cleaned herself up 
And so we gave her a nicer name after that. But yeah, uh-huh. looks just yeah. like my old cat. Yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. Einstein. He's a, uh, he's a European Einstein. short hair. Yeah, Einstein. Uh-huh. He's a European short hair. Anyway, uh, but <laughs> I, see, I have a cat. Yeah, see, I have a cat. Okay, I'm, I'm a human being. You. Yeah. All right. Anyway, yeah. Uh, where was I? You were saying that you like to make oh, yes. informed like to- and considered decisions. Yes, and they're I, I based like to- on rationality. Yes, I like to make those decisions myself, and. I think, again, I think that's one of the things that's, that's actually eluded people. Since we started this, since, since all of this began, everybody was kind of whipped up into this um, fear-based decision-making process. So people weren't able to rationalize. They had been uh, put into a state of, of cognitive dissonance, and their perceptions were being monopolized because they'd been taken out of society. It was unfamiliar to them. They were put into their homes. They were put on lockdown, and everybody was force-fed this steady diet of just fear, lies, propaganda, uh, and and God knows uh, what other behavioral stuff that people were being uh, subjected to that we weren't watching. We weren't watching the mainstream media. We weren't watching, or at least by, by and large, we, we, we had to, unfortunately, to you know, to do what we do here. But we weren't watching the mainstream media 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We weren't on social media, Facebook and Twitter and, and all the rest of the stuff. We weren't on that, where all of this was being force fed to people. And people were so, uh, the ones that were that were paying attention to this were so, that were so susceptible to it, were so beaten down and demoralized that they were willing to just go along to say, all right, look, just wanted to stop, just jab me, whatever, and and, and I'll, let's just get this over with so I can get back to whatever it is that I'm going to do. But that doesn't make a very effective player in the aspect of game theory, does it? Basically, you're taking that player out of the game. Well, what you're winding up with is irrational elements coming into the um into the mix and you you can't have a decision that stands up mathematically as in it's weighed up the pros and cons it's looked at the the possible outcomes and using any kind of um scientific formula if you have irrational actions or thoughts within that process so that's why the game theory relies on rationality and we've had that taken away from us to to a certain degree we've had the uh, the the rationality removed because so many people are behaving due to irrational fear and it's an irrational fear because it's been falsely created it's it, if it was a real fear if there was a a real danger then it wouldn't be irrational it, it would be something that could be properly factored in and calculated but of course, this is an irrational fear because it's for a, a falsely created set of circumstances. And he has joined us. I thought you might be coming in on the uh, the end of it, but you're here right at the beginning. Bruce, how are you? I'm healthy and alive. Um, actually, the installers were kind enough to show up an hour early. Um, nice. So they got everything in and good and done. And now the room is ajar and needs rearranging and putting back together but actually your quality uh, is much much better i'm assuming it's the new connection yes uh we have one gig up one gig down so it is nice isn't it it is nice yes so we'll see how it goes uh obviously you know new hardware new new everything getting everything rearranged and um, uh, new new equipment yeah we'll see how it goes and then we have the guys in the backyard digging and this may be short-lived so we'll see fair (laughs) enough Fair enough. Okay, um, I want to get into again. I want to get into the. Uh, I'm jealous of you, by the way. All right, I, I'm, I'm the no, one that's usually doing that. Yeah, well, I, th- I thought I'd, I'd take the opportunity to, for the benefit of the listener, 
I'm just doing a few bicep exercises uh-huh. um, while I'm sat here talking. Uh huh. Um, I thought I would get into the uh, the simulation they ran here, uh, and I'm actually I'm glad Bruce is in here because I'm sure that this is a podcast that he'd want to be involved with and not miss because this is a uh, this is going to be a great conversation we're going to have here. Basically, the simulation they ran here. This is again pitting one group against the other. So in the beginning of this conversation, we're talking about again vaxxed and unvaxxed and the way that they've tried to play those two groups off against each other. We're going to widen the scope a little bit. The second half of the podcast, we're going to talk about what's going on in Canada. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna branch that out a little bit, and we're going to also compare that to what's happening in the UK in in Austria, in France, in Germany, and uh, in Australia as well. Uh, Marty has now moved on to his deltoid exercises, uh, and he's um, uh, he's currently uh, currently working those muscles out. And it's good on him, right? Good on him because uh, we're we're big into health and fitness around here. Yeah, of course you do. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put these anyway. down for a while. I'll continue later. <laughs> Anyway, in each simulated generation during these interactions, helping, listen to this, helping will cost a player while benefiting another player, while betraying benefits the betraying player at the expense of the opponent player as an example, right? Now listen to this. If player one, we're, again, we're taking two players, right? Vaxxed and the unvaxxed, because those are the two groups they've put us into. If player one helps and player two helps, the interactions cost both, but on net their potentials to reproduce increases. So if they help each other, their potential to continue on and and be successful gets higher. If player one helps and player two betrays, the interaction reduces player one's potential to reproduce and increases player two's potential to reproduce without paying any cost, which makes, again, makes perfect sense. If player one betrays and player two helps, so reverse the situations, the interaction reduces player two's potential to reproduce and increases player one's potential to reproduce without paying any cost. Same situation rolls reversed. If player one betrays and player two betrays, the interactions cost both with no increase in potential to reproduce for either player. So everybody loses. That is a very important role to understand. So let's break it down to the way that each strategy for each team would follow. So you have four strategies that they considered here. You have a selfish strategy, which is you help no one and you betray no one. So you're only out for yourself. A traitorous strategy, which means you help no one, not even yourself, and you betray everyone. You have the humanitarian strategy, which is you help everyone and you betray no one. And then you have the ethnocentric strategy, which that group is key. You help the in-group and you betray the out-group. Now, the results of this, were, which I thought were, were fascinating, the results of these simulations show that the selfish team is self-limiting. Again, that's the, uh, the help no one and betray no one. And they go extinct because players don't help each other. No one helps each other. You're only out for yourself and you just you betray everyone else. The traitorous team goes extinct even faster. Who could you equate to the traitorous team in all of this? I would say the governments. They're helping no one and they're betraying everyone. Yeah. They go extinct even faster because the players don't help each other and impose costs on each other. There's a flaw here. Um, okay, in, go in, ahead. In the, in the game model that you're explaining because... Uh-huh. We haven't just got player one and player two. What we've right. got is player one, which let's say are the awakened skepticals, such mm-hmm. as ourselves. You've got player two, which is the blindly compliant ovine types, the sheep people that are just going to follow regardless. They're, they are institutionalized and so on, and they will just follow what the government says. You could equate that to the traitorous strategy as well. You could, lab- you could yeah. put that label on them too. Then there's player three. Player three are the governments, the ones who are enacting the will of the actual controller, which is player four, which in in our terms here is the globalist elite. 
you know, the, the, the World Bank, the WEF, the New World Order. So we've got four players. If the governments were to betray player four, then player one and player two would both benefit because they'd start to get the truth. Uh-huh. But because they don't, because they continue to actually betray player one and player two, because whatever they're doing isn't doing anyone any real good, as you correctly said. It's not doing the, the people who are sceptical any good because they, they continue to try to gaslight us and tell us, oh, no, 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 it's perfectly safe and everything's fine and you need this. And they, they've already convinced the other, you know, player two, the ovine types, the sheep people, um, and they'll just continue to follow on what the government or governments are saying. So the model works. I've played a game similar on a management course many, many, many years ago um, where you had two groups and you could vote one or zero. And if you didn't both vote the same way, then one group or the other would suffer. And you were allowed one meeting in the middle of the game. And it 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 just meant that there was it was a no win situation for the group that were trying to be helpful. The group that tries to be helpful failed because the other group would continue to vote against them, vote selfishly every single time. There's another sort of theory, or uh, it's called the balanced scorecard um, used in business, and I don't fully understand it. I don't pretend to because. I'm not a businessman. However, I've worked in, in many different businesses. I know a little bit about the balance scorecard. And I'm what I think it should have been is a way of departments explaining to each other what they expect from other departments and what they are prepared and able to give to other departments so that no one's ever disappointed. You've got internal customers who you be, at one point you're the customer, the next point you're the the vendor, and and it, it and it swaps around from department to department. And if you don't understand what you expect from other departments and what they expect from you, your business will fail eventually. And 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 I think this is what the whole um you know uh, what were the two options again? Uh, the the betray and the the other one was what. You have a selfish strategy. You have a traitorous strategy. You have a humanitarian yeah. strategy and an ethnocentric. So, so trying to do the humanitarian thing, if you're not getting anything from anybody else, eventually your resources just run out. You run out of um, goodwill from your staff. You run out of resources because it's all a one-way thing. It's going straight to the traitorous side because they're not giving you anything back. And um, and and. I think that was the important lesson from the game we played. And I think it's possibly the most important thing for any company that decides to use the balanced scorecard as a way of seeing how their business sits and how it's functioning. I wonder, were you part of that? Uh, were you part of that corporate team that I uh, that I read about uh, a while back, where the, one of these uh, game theory strategists were hired by a corporation to go in and challenge uh, a lot of their employees? I mean, it was uh, all the directors and managers and everybody else. They were brought in and they took an entire day. the The goal was was to basically do kind of what you were refer- you're uh, you're referring to there was to get everybody within the business to I guess to to work more efficiently with each other uh, and to uh, become better business partners. 
relationships with each other and, and collaborate more. Well, that was yeah, the idea. it's got to be a, sy- a symbiosis as opposed to a yes. parasitic relationship. Yes. Well, it ended so, up... So it, you're both getting something. Yes. And the problem was, is that it went on all day, as in it, it went on from eight o'clock in the morning with one meeting in the afternoon and then uh, ended at 5.30 in the evening. And by the end of the day which was actually, it was really funny. It had the opposite effect. No one was working more closely together. As a matter of fact, they were they were hating each other more and they all needed workplace counseling before they could go back to their regular business day. Well, as an example uh, of, of this kind of, um, it, it takes someone to stand up and speak out against the way the business is being run. So because we're, we're, we're talking about game theory, but everything's a game. If you, you can gamify anything. When I was working for a, a, a very famous communications company, it was my job to put the number of points into the system that sales could then sell installations based upon. So let's say a full installation at a domestic property would be 24 points, and that was a whole day's job. So I would put on the points into the system that were dependent on the number of two-man installation crews that I had and the one-man installation crews that I had. But what would happen is sales, because they were paid according to how many jobs they booked for a particular day, would underpoint the installations. And I wrote a long email, which I put out to all of the top brass in the company, um, which says, what do points make? unachievable targets because every day they were sales because they were overselling the number of installations we could do um, were causing us to fail. As as installers, we couldn't meet our 98% target because they were underpointing these jobs. They were underestimating how long each job would take quite deliberately so that they could sell more jobs so that they could make more money. And in turn, they made us lose money. And it's it's something as simple as that within a company uh, and within a game and within a political civil system, where if it's everything is just one direction, take, 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 then one part of the organization is no longer a, a symbiotic entity. It's a parasite. And, and that's what we've got at the moment. Our governments are parasites. That is true. That is true. That's exactly what they are. Is again, again, they're playing it, it, that player on the board. In my opinion, based on the way that they they game this out, is playing a traitor strategy. Again, they're helping no one and they're betraying everyone. Moving right along with this, right? So we we looked at the traitor strategy, the humanitarian strategy, which is one that you were talking about about how it's constantly giving and giving and giving, but they're not cutting anyone out. They're not cutting out any of the dead weight or anything. They're just giving and giving, and they're helping and helping, and and they're not really they're not giving any kind of self preservation a thought. So that would be a, an example of a humanitarian strategy. What do they end up doing. They end up working with uh, and competing with the ethnocentric players. So the ethnocentric players, who are they? They help only the people in their in-group and they betray everyone in their out-group. These are the ones that will most likely uh, end up winning the game because they will help the people in their team and they will help no one outside of their team. I mean, if you think about it, that's what sports games are, aren't they? They're ethnocentric. It's the same thing. Yeah, that's that's exactly what they are. However, Sport is sport, and it it should be set aside for a reason. When we're looking at applying game theory to other fields of endeavor, there's an old saying, isn't there? If you 
if you give a man a, a, a fish, you'll feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, you'll, he'll feed himself for the rest of his life. Well, Terry Pratchett, who is a, I mean, he's an author that many, many, many people enjoyed. Um, he's, he's, he's passed on now, God rest him. But in, in his city of Ankh-Morpork, the Thieves Guild had a saying, which was, if you hit a man too hard, you can only rob him once. Hit him just hard enough, you can rob him every other day. And that's the problem with, um, you're going to have to help me out with the, the word again. What was it? The ethocentric? Ethnocentric. Ethnocentric. Sorry. The ethnocentric strategy is that you're only helping yourselves. You don't help the source of your income, which is, let's say, your customer. If you sell your customer something that they can't really afford and that doesn't enrich their lives and make and makes them money, then after a while, you're not going to have any customers because they'll all be broke. They won't be able to buy your product. So ethical marketing. Pharma companies. Um, that's that player. Yeah. Pharma companies. Well, there you go. So that, that's, that's exactly what they do. They'll eventually, they'll just, uh, they have to create something else. They have to create a new requirement that you simply must have and can't live without so that you will bankrupt yourself to buy it. And um, indeed, 500,000 people a year in the United States of America are going bankrupt due to medical bills and uh, bills for, for medicines that should be dirt cheap, but are not dirt cheap because they've been uh, artificially inflated. The prices have been artificially inflated. So the results of this, just examining these four groups, uh, the, the results of this so let's look at what they came up with, right? Again, they're comparing vaxxed to unvaxxed here. They, we were kind of throwing in our other players here that we can equate that to, but they were simply comparing vaxxed to unvaxxed. Intuitively, these simulations show that the strategies that dominate over time are the ones that are the most ethnocentric. Yeah, you're helping your group. You're betraying everyone outside of your group. This means that the best survival strategy in these simulations is to help your team and betray those not on your team. This is known as the positive and negative ethnocentrism, respectively. The higher the degree of ethnocentrism, the larger the advantage of strategy over time. Even if policy sanctioning the unvaccinated is relaxed or repealed, soft power elements and the societal environment at large will carry the persecution forward. If we want to survive and thrive in the years after this societal schism between the vaxxed and the unvaxxed and the system of the real human beings and people able to think, the intuitive results of these simulations should be kept in mind. I like their um, their examination of that. I thought that was... Um, well, it's, it's an accurate examination and, and an accurate assessment of, yep. of what would happen in a, in a two-player situation. Yes. However, these studies are done largely by academics. Real business people are too busy running, still running their businesses to be consultants. And it's kind of, you know, lend me a watch and I'll tell you the time situation. Most of the people who run businesses know all this already, but what they need is a study um, to tell them that's what they need to do for the benefit of their board of directors or their shareholders. We need to put this in front of the shareholders to say, this is the changes that we need to make. Uh, and these are the reasons why, and so on and so forth. The problem with academics is that they're great with theoretical situations, but business, warfare, just surviving as, as a citizen uh, within a political system, they're real situations. They're not academic situations. And the variables 
are harder to pin down and calculate and predict. Bruce, you look like you want to jump in there and uh, say a few things. Uh, what do you got? Because we're going to move on to uh, strategy next. Uh, we're going to widen the scope of this just a little bit. Well, being as um, I had to reset my system in the middle of that because firmware updates. Um, yeah, no choice in that one. Uh, I missed some of what was said. Um, but I'm I'm kind of going out on a limb and, and, and kind of try to assume what was talked about and uh basically you're going over the different groups and the the, yeah, the this four is what categories and, I, and everything yeah, yeah this is what you and i talked about when we were okay. looking at uh, okay. you know just the basic basic game theory that was applied to vax and unvax playing two groups off against each other I, I mean just kind of an observational thing i'm not really sure okay when it comes to the vax group i'm i'm a little more solid on uh the unvax i don't know about the vax vax group what are we considering them? What what category are they being considered? Are they are they being considered the betrayal, the selfish? I would say that they are. That that's a really good question. I I would. Uh, you can't put them in both. You'd have to if you break it down uh, to either one of those. Honestly, I would say that I would put them in the betray group. And the reason I say I would put them in the betray group, this is just my own personal opinion. You guys may have a different one. Uh, but the reason I would put them in the betray group is because they help no one and they betray everyone. Why do I say that? They are out for themselves. But I don't particularly see them helping members of their in-group, if you will. They're helping themselves, well, or the, so they think, that, but they're not they're not helping anyone else within their group. So, I mean, you can't even, that, that, you can't even put that, that as a strategy, or as a selfish a bit, strategy. That's, um, that's where I'm a bit um, uh, hazy, because if you as a vaxxed individual are interacting with other vaxxed individuals, there's kind of that camaraderie there. They, 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 they feel like they're on the True. same team. True. So there, there's a bit of an alliance, if you will, and they, they kind mm -hmm. of treat each other well in that as long as you're vaccinated. But then once you're not vaccinated, they're willing to betray you. But the, the thing is, is because vaccination status is so tedious at best, one slight change means you were on our team. Now this slight change has made you you're you're the enemy. So it's very tenuous. That's why I was kind of it. It 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 fits the what was it the ethnocentric? Is that is that what the ethnocentric is where you you help your in group but you betray the out group? Yeah, but they become right, right. you're saying though they become the out group when you have the smallest change. That that, that yeah. So they're they're technically that group technically in my opinion. But the problem is is they're so easily the betrayer group fall into that and and because if you're on the out if you are kicked out of that group you're now a betrayer and you betray everybody you're like you you you're going after the un, the the vaccinated unvaxed you're not really a part of any group and then eventually you do become part of the unvaxed group because the unvaxed group are more welcoming if you will i don't know it, there, there there's a lot of nuance to this that um i'm i'm curious how 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 much in depth it goes with the, with the nuances. If we're looking at specifics here about vaccinated and unvaccinated, and I, I really don't like using the term vaccinated in this I situation. Mean, I hate it because I, I don't the, like playing people off against it, each other. They're, 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 well, no, they're, they're not vaccines, are they? A vaccine gives immunity and prevents transmission. These do none of that. Well, they had to change the definition. But, yeah, yeah. But the I think the, the, the thing is you've always got two levels of uh, you've got your surface level of aim or goal or reason for doing something, and then you've got your subsurface selfish internal one that you would never admit to. So the when it comes to Brexit, for instance, 
the majority of people who voted for Brexit would say on the surface it was because they wanted the country to have its own sovereignty. The underlying secret hidden reason is because we were absolutely sick of uncontrolled immigration, which is still going on. But we couldn't argue that point because of wokeism and the immediate ad hominem arguments that would be put forward. So the the argument that was put forward was to regain our sovereignty and stop Brussels from telling the United Kingdom how to go about its business. Now, with COVID and the vaccines, the surface reason for having a vaccine was, I want to protect other people. I want to um, stop transmission. I want to remain healthy myself. The underlying reason was, I want to go on a foreign holiday. I want to be able to um, go to the theatre. I want to do this. I want to do that. All very unimportant in the in the the bigger scheme of things. If if the if the risks of the virus were actually real, as as real as they are, are were made out to be, those are fairly unimportant things. So that's where you've got your in group and your out group at one point, but it's a dynamic thing. Because at one point, if you'd had one vaccination, you were vaxxed. If then you had to have the second dose. And so all those that had one dose were suddenly in the out group. All those that had two doses were in the in group. And then it was the booster and the, the, the second booster and so on and so on until the Venn diagram of this particular group looks like one of those spirograph drawings that you used to do as a kid. It's that ridiculous. And because it is a case of divide and conquer, which is what we were talking about right at the start of this, about how it, it, it separates people into different groups, it's been so effective for, at separating these groups as well, the actual vaxxed and the unvaxxed, because the unvaxxed contains an awful lot of fruit loops as well. No offence, guys, but it contains people who still believe in lizard men and stuff like that. David so. Icke is... David Icke is a very clever man. Oh, David Icke, right? yeah. okay, all right, yeah. And he, he's been he's been prophesizing uh, on this for quite a while, but because he his mental health forced him down a line of conversation and, and an idea about lizard men and aliens and all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff that simply isn't true. The people who are conspiring against us are human. They are not any kind of lizard man. They are just fabulously wealthy narcissistic sociopaths. That's what, what they are. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody knows that there is a door in Antarctica that goes to the center of the earth where the lizard humans live, Marty. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Okay. Well, if, if, <laughs> if David Icke was being metaphorical when he suggested that they were lizard men and made that clear, then he would have been listened to a damn sight sooner than now. It's been about 20 years between his massive on-screen nervous breakdown in which he completely destroyed his credibility to now where what he's saying and people are starting to believe in it. So even within the unvaxxed group, there are these divisions between people who are cynical uh, and sceptical about what we are being told and like to dig a bit deeper and they've dug deeper and what they've found is that they're being lied to. And those people are one group, but then you've got stuff like QAnon, which again, I keep meaning to watch this 
documentary. Imagine how crackpot that is. It, trust the plant. What plant? Well, how's that, how's that working out for everybody? Imagine trusting in a plan that you don't even know what it is. That's ridiculous. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so you've got these different groups within groups, and so you're still betraying one whilst trying to help another, and so on yeah. and so forth. Well, I think I um, think the 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 far left is is that way too. And believe me, if there was a far right, I'd be happy to call them out. Uh, but I still haven't seen one yet. Don't and don't tell me that Patriot Front group of Feds that you got uh, stacked up over there. Don't tell me that's some far right group. That's a joke, is what that is. But the far left, they've got different factions in there as well. They they've got different sects in there as well. You've got Antifa, you got BLM, you've got uh, 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 n- name a group. You got the Palestine group. That I mean, hell, they they take all the little minority groups and they're trying to make up a supermajority that the Marxist elements on top of the global order want to use for control. So if you can gather is, all those groups together... Yeah, go ahead. Exactly what I said a few nights ago on the podcast. The reason that governments pander to minorities, and it doesn't matter what kind of diversity they've decided will make them an, a, a minority, is if you add up all of those diverse groups and everybody's got something that makes them unique that they could identify with and say, yeah, I'm part of that minority. And this government has decided it's going to do something for me, you know, because of my diversity or the fact that I'm a unicorn. I don't know. But you add up all of those minorities, you wind up with a majority. And and that is how governments are fighting elections these days. Yeah, I tell you what. And on that note, let's uh, let's widen the scope of this a little bit because we are we are getting low on time here. Bruce, do you want to say something on that before we move on here? Uh, I was just going to uh, reiterate the divide and conquer comment. That is exactly uh, basically the argument that we just put forth about there being subgroups and all of that. That's exactly what's going on. Divide and conquer. You're you're getting groups inside of groups inside of groups, and there there's all these divisions, and nobody's forming around a common idea even if they are technically in the same vax or unvax group they're not form co- they're not coalescing around the same idea they're as you said some of them are QAnon, some of them are lizard men i mean so on and so forth and it just they all don't get along unfortunately I you remember the when, lizard men what's the li- well, lizard people <laughs> what is this but guys do you remember when when this all kicked off and we were talking about it almost straight away I said, I hope that when it's all said and done, when you know, after after the hell of it all, that we remember where the virus came from. If we're going to coalesce around one idea, it has to be that. It has to be that because that can be proved. Uh-huh. There's a yeah. paper trail that proves how COVID nineteen came into existence, where it came into existence, who paid for it, Fauci, and and where it was created, Wuhan. So you've got this one thing, whether you believe in the gene therapy injections or not, you could at least get behind the idea that the vaccine, sorry, that was my Freudian slip, that the virus was created deliberately and by whom. No, I so think you had it right the get, first time. I think you had it right, right. the first time. <laughs> I, I just did exactly what all of those other politicians have done. The vaccine was, the virus was created for the vaccine, not the other way around. Yeah. Um, I mean, technically, they're both viruses, to be fair. And they don't it, have... It does. Yeah, and, it acts and, like a virus. It, it and replicates none of them, itself inside your cells. 
Yes. Yeah. The, with the spike proteins. Yes. But Pfizer even admits that the so-called leaders that we've got, none of them seem to be interested whatsoever having any kind of discussion or uh, or even acknowledgement about what your main point is there, Marty. And that is getting everybody together centered around this central idea of, hey, wait a minute, where did this come from? And how did that happen? They're not interested in any of that. They don't want to have that conversation at all. Cue up Ukraine. Anyway. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. The, that's, yeah, that's cue up Ukraine. We've got, yeah, we've got the diversionary event. They can't of, do it. Of, they can't play Ukraine. It. They can't. However, however, sanctions are already being made ready for financial sanctions that, that will damage all of the oligarchs who've got all of their money in the West uh, and the property they've bought and so on and so forth. So all those Russians who've been lording it over us all, giving us their online gambling, making even more money out of us and, and buying up vast swathes of, of Europe will be punished by seizures of their assets in the event of, of a Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's amazing. So Ukraine what's happened just... to China? Ch China hasn't had any sanctions put against it for um, releasing a supposedly deadly virus on the world. In fact, the Winter Olympic Games are being held in Beijing, or sorry, in China as, as we speak. So they have forgotten. They have deliberately obliviated the whole truth of how the virus came into being in the first place. No, no, and, comrade, um, you're misunderstood. Just... You're misunderstanding, comrade. You're, <laughs> you're misunderstanding. Yeah. You're not seeing things clearly, my friend. That's what's happening here. Uh, uh, you're, you're not seeing see, things clearly. That's a that's a good gaslighting attempt, but I'm afraid <laughs> I am seeing things very clearly. You know, that's down largely to these conversations that we have because it helps put the thoughts in your head in order. Uh, and, and helps to make sense of what is a very crazy, non-rational set of circumstances. And with that being said, let's roll right into widening the scope of this. Let's talk about Canada. Uh, I, I want to I talk about Canada. We're going to focus on that, but we're also going to spread this out. You guys are aware of what's happening in Australia. We've looked at, at Marty, we were going over some of the, uh, the footage of that, what was happening over the weekend, amazing numbers they put up. New Zealand, you guys are doing fantastic down there with your protests uh, as well. The Germans, I don't even have words. The French, the Italians, the English, you're, you're hitting it out of the park. By the way, just on that side, note uh, before before I get started in this, Ukraine was hit with a massive cyber attack today. Most of their banking system is uh, is offline and their center for cybersecurity that was taken out too. Um, so it's, it's unfortunate to say the least. That's really unfortunate. Uh, anyway, moving right along again, Canada, this was a different situation that was put together by a uh, another mathematician who specializes in game theory. And he's specifically talking about the situation with the truckers and what they have done as in blocking the uh, uh, the border crossings. Now, as you can clearly see, I'm going to pull this up. As you can clearly see, these are the strategic points that they have taken. You've got the Coots border crossing in Alberta that's just north of Montana. You've got the Emerson crossing in Manitoba. And you've got the Ambassador Bridge, which is the crossing from Detroit into Windsor. Okay, these three points have been taken, as well as the capital city of Ottawa. They have choked that city off. Now, we're going to get into Trudeau's response here uh, very shortly, because that that is uh, what he did last night after we went off is nothing short of unbelievable. Uh, but we're going to get into that. But uh, this particular mathematician went through and worked this out. And this was his take on it. And again, we're still talking game theory here. This is what he was able to come up with. He says the problem that Trudeau has now 
is that he has few narrowly circumscribed bases of power that are enough to get elected, but not enough to govern against the will of the people. These are two totally different things. A lot of these governments operate on just that right there. They take their power from little tiny groups, like the ones we were just talking about. They're able to make a majority out of it, and they're able to govern based on that. But that's not enough to govern the will of the people. As you see the will of the people that's out there in the streets, that's more to deal with than the small groups that you represent. Most of these governments, at least in the parliamentary system, are termed as what's called a coalition government, meaning they have all the different little parties that they sit around in their back rooms and they make deals with and say, okay, we're going to bring you in, we're going to bring you in, we're going to bring you in because we're going to take this idea from you and this idea from you and this idea from you, and everybody's going to get a little bit, and this is what we're going to come up with. So if you jump on board with us, we'll be able to form a government and we can move forward. Well, that's not a majority. I don't care what the what, what this uh, th this parliamentary system is. That's not a majority. You're making a deal with somebody in order to maintain a majority, when in reality, you're actually representing a minority if that makes any sense. Back to your point, Johnny, about um, the way in which these coalitions work. At the moment, here in the UK, we have the strongest majority of um, conservatives in supposed conservatives in government, and they don't need a coalition. It's only the conservative party that should be uh, being represented, but it's such a broad church of voters that have... have decided that they would vote Conservative this time. And, and I think that's that's the problem, that each part of that voting public, you know, all the different constituencies, they all want something slightly different. And they're never sure what part of that voting public is being best served by the government that have been elected. And it's, it's worse when it is a, a coalition where you've got two separate political parties Mm -hmm. sharing the role of government. There's always a smaller one that gets the rough end of the, the pineapple, like when it was the Liberal Democrats and Conservatives that were in, in coalition. The Conservatives, basically, uh, Cameron ran roughshod over Clegg, and it never really works, which is why party politics, to my mind, doesn't work. It's It's the problem. It's not the solution at all. Mm -hmm. So I do take on board exactly what you meant by what you were saying. I suppose I'm just trying to reiterate the fact that when you've got all of these disparate parts of the public that have voted a particular government into power, they all want something slightly different. Some of them want lower taxes. Some of them want people to pay more tax so that there's more public service. Some of them want to make money out of stuff like fracking, for instance. Uh, other parts of, of that voting public definitely doesn't want any kind of fracking to happen because they're concerned about the water table and other environmental things. So no one really knows who's being served best by their government. Because well, I don't think the, the government, to be honest. <laughs> well, no, we're not. We're, we're, we're not. But there, there was a time when the majority kind of got what it wanted. But not anymore. I mean, how many decades has it been now where the majority are actually getting stiffed and the minority are making more money, making more gains, bigger land grabs, bigger this, bigger that? It's been at least three decades. Uh, and so, at least. Yeah. And, and, and that minority um, globally now extends to 
that 3,000 people that we've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time um, some kind of policy um, goes to uh, economy of scale, if you can if you can sell 1,000 products, you sell it at a certain price. But if you can sell 1 million, you can sell it cheaper and everyone will buy that product from you. Uh, and And we've allowed that to happen. Our own human nature is a little bit greedy and a little bit selfish. And all we've thought about is that under the surface reason for doing something, which is we want stuff to be cheaper. So the European agricultural policy, um, that screwed British farmers. It advantaged German and French farmers. You've got the whole moving more and more stuff online, kills the high street, but advantages people like Bezos. And you can see every move that they've made, as in the the, the Davos cabal have, have made, to do as much harm to smaller businesses as possible throughout the pandemic, whilst advantaging their, their core members. Well, with that being said, one thing that I don't think that they were planning for in all of this were these convoys. Uh, now, I, I showed you the strategic points that they have choked off there. You've also got convoys. Yes, yeah, sorry, that are now, you did. Yeah, I did. They're, they're, you've also yeah. got convoys that are now rolling in uh, in the UK. You've got convoys that are now rolling in the EU. They're due to arrive in Brussels, I think, tomorrow uh, or the day after. Uh, they're rolling here as well. There was a, a large one that was just running here, uh, running running through here the other day. You've got a convoy of twenty thousand that are rolling through Israel right now. I don't understand that one. I mean, we could talk about that another day. Um, you've got a convoy that's rolling through Paris right now. Uh, Paris looked like a war zone yesterday. I mean, hell, the police were just going around randomly clubbing people and throwing tear gas into uh, into cafes. Those are vaccinated people sitting in there. The government, I mean, when I see that, I don't see a government that's trying to maintain control. I see a government in freefall. But uh, again, I'm I'm kind of drifting here. I want to I want to specifically focus on Canada. So with Trudeau having enough to actually form a government, which that's even in tatters at the moment because all the provincial uh, leaders have turned on him, the nearest I can tell. Uh, and I've got some clips of that uh, that we can get to. I don't know. We're running really tight on time here. But this leaves him, again, back to the situation. It leaves him with very serious limits on what he can accomplish with the situation with these truckers. The truckers did not all converge on Ottawa, but they organized themselves locally and they created many small spots of trouble. In quantitative studies of insurgency, this is known as the ink spot model, local decentralized warfare that relies on local support. Again, this is where Marty comes in because we're going to be discussing military strategy because that's what he's equating this to. This is what you're seeing in places like Germany. You've got uh, protests that have popped up in every little town, every little village, uh, every city uh, nearly. And, and and it's all local. It's all decentralized. Uh, and it's an ink spot strategy uh, is is what it is. And it doesn't allow the the governments or uh, the police or anything like that. It doesn't allow them to to go in and quell any of those uh, any of those revolts on a local level like that. It's too much for the system to handle. He basically says, simply put, this is for the truckers to lose. If they can outlast the government, which uh, which may mean for another week or so, they'll break it if they continue with this. Depends on what Trudeau is now going to play because of what he's now invoked. Trudeau needs to win every interaction to stay in power, which is a, which is exactly why I think he invoked what he did. But he has no support to do it other than his cabinet and the party at Davos, which I think he got a phone call saying do it. All the truckers have to do at this point in the matters of game theory is not lose. Well, it's theirs to lose, so don't lose. 
a draw, even in this case, would be in their favor. And the situation in most places right now is a draw at best, which is true. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police are pushing and pushing and pushing, but they haven't been able to deal with or disperse a single protest yet. Uh, You've had a couple of places here and there that have kind of, oh yeah, they've pushed them out of the way, but that's really been about it. What are you going to go in and start clubbing people in bounce houses? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to club a bunch of kids over the head that are uh, that are building Legos, people that are feeding the homeless. Is that what you're going to do? Really? How are you going to spend that one on international TV? It's not going to go over too well, especially when you've got all the provincial leaders saying, uh, no, we don't we don't back this. We don't we don't back this at all. We, we don't support this. Bruce, you look like you want to say something. I, I think if I um, some of the news I was hearing yesterday is they did pull military hardware and they did clear. I'm wanting to say the Ambassador Bridge. Uh-huh. I think. Okay. Uh, but there was one point that they did open up and clear again. I see. But I don't remember where it was. Or it could have been some access points to the Capitol. There was something that they did clear, though, because I, I remember seeing soldiers armed, magazine and gun, unlike the ones at January 6th, as an uh-huh. example. And they had MREPs pulling up with uh, looked armed from, you know, what video you could see rolling in across the bridge. So, uh, yeah. Marty, you're a career Navy man. I, I want to know what your take is on what I'm about to say that uh, that this mathematician came up with. He said, the truckers have used a method originally devised for naval warfare called block shipping, based on what they've done with um, uh, with the border crossings uh, and what they've done in Ottawa. What that means is they sink their ships to block a strategic narrowing point or a harbor entrance. There is literally no economical way of dealing with this tactic. The worst case scenario is the truckers would still lose their jobs and their trucks just by walking away. But it still imposes a massive cost on the government. When the worst case scenario is that both you and your opponent lose, you have everything to gain. Yeah, uh, well, in this particular circumstance, the government believes it has all the control and all the power. It's just had it proved to them that they do not have all the power. The power has always been with the people. Now, sinking your ship in the mouth of a harbour and preventing that harbour from being used is quite a, a drastic tactic unless you have a ship that is of no value to you. Where they've taken the wheels off of these trucks and so that they are basically big physical obstacles to the you know the passage of goods and trade over those choke points, one can only assume that they they have a plan, especially if they are owners of the rigs as well, to retrieve those those rigs. The gratifying thing for us watching this is that the the tow truck operators have refused to 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 help to to obey the government and to go in and assist in towing these rigs out of the way, which is why they've had to use the military, um, because obviously any armored corps, and a lot of the a lot of NATO's tank battles, ta- sorry, tank training and exercises take place in Canada. And they have the big vehicles designed to retrieve broken down tanks that have lost a track, the engine has died or whatever. So the Canadian military definitely has the capability to remove those obstacles. But whether or not there is the will within the Canadian military to remove those obstacles remains to be seen. I would say that there is not enough support in the military for Trudeau to get away with doing that. However, at the moment, the Mounties seem to be 
utterly following his word. But even well, though they yes seem no. slightly reluctant in some areas, yeah. Yeah, it's, yes and no. I've seen some I've seen some private cell phone video, mobile phone video of uh, a lot of these cops when they're not in front of the cameras and they're they're with the guys that are standing on the uh, on the border. I think looks can be deceiving when it comes to the media, quite frankly. The, yeah. the thing is, though, it doesn't matter, though, if looks are deceiving or not. If you're still doing the orders and you disagree yeah. with them, you're still doing the orders. Yeah. In this, I, I with, with the law enforcement and everything, I'm not convinced they don't have because look at what's happening in America. Look at what's happening in the Western world in general. Law enforcement that are enforcing these, the, the common response is, I don't want to lose my pension. Yeah. No, that's if that's if you're if you're if you're willing to enact tyranny over your pension, then morals be damned. Yeah, that's true. Now, I do have a question. I, I understand that there is something involving. I don't know the inner workings of it, but I know that there's something in the Canadian system, I, I, the governmental system. I'm not sure what it is, uh, but it has something to do with England and it has something to do with the royal family and the Queen's Privy Council uh, in Canada. Uh, and I again, I don't know what it is, but in order for Trudeau to enact what he has enacted with this Emergency Powers Act, or the Emergencies Act or whatever it is, which is essentially martial law, he had to declare um, in front of uh, in front of other cabinet members and upon uh, upon the good book, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and he had to swear in front of it that this is going to be carried out uh, via the Attorney General and the President of the Queen's Privy Council in Canada, also referred to as Her Majesty's Privy Council. Uh, and I have video of him here doing that. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure what any of this means, but perhaps you do when you hear it, Marty. I, Justin P.J. Trudeau, do swear that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, Queen of Canada, her heirs and successors. So help me God. I, Justin P.J. Trudeau, do solemnly and sincerely swear that I shall be a true and faithful servant to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II as a member of Her Majesty's Privy Council for Canada. I will in all things to be treated, debated, and resolved in Privy Council faithfully, honestly, and truly declare my mind and my opinion. I shall keep secret all matters committed and revealed to me in this capacity or that shall be secretly treated of in Council. Generally, in all things, I shall do as a faithful and true servant ought to do for Her Majesty, so help me God. I don't believe that sounds like a man that is serving his own people. I, I'm not dumping on your system by any means whatsoever, but uh, why would a leader of a supposed sovereign nation swear allegiance to Queen Elizabeth II? Because Canada is a very major part of the Commonwealth, and Queen Elizabeth II is actually the head of state. She is Queen of Canada. That wasn't Anything to do with his, you know, declaring the um, Insurrection Act or whatever. Emergencies it, Act, yeah. The, the Emergencies Act. That was him being sworn in as Prime Minister. And obviously he, along with some other significant people inside Canada, formed the Queen's Privy Council for Canada. Uh -huh. Okay, um, so that's what that uh, is. All right. Yeah. So he is part of the Privy Council. And in fact, he's probably top man within Canada. 
and each member state of the Commonwealth will have a Privy Council that report into the Queen. But please bear in mind, the Queen has certain vetoes that she could instigate. And by and large, the royal family, the royals tend to not exercise their rights as a constitutional monarchy in most cases, because they do not want to be seen to be playing a political game. But here in the UK, if the Prime Minister wants to take us to war, he has to go and ask for the Queen's permission because she is still Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. And it may well be that I, I don't know how far her powers extend within the Commonwealth, but if she wanted to rescind that Emergencies Act, I'm not at all sure she could. So I see. You know, I did. I did hear it was. I want to say it was like 2010 or 2011 or something. I remember uh, when when Trudeau's predecessor was in there. Uh, I do. I do remember that uh, Queen Elizabeth II. She did something. Uh, something had happened. I don't. I don't know the details of it. Uh, it's it's a completely irrelevant to this conversation. But um, she had done something to shut down the Canadian Parliament. They did something that she didn't like. Or, or something like that. Uh, and so she still has the power to, I guess, as you said, the veto power. And she literally shut down their parliament until whatever was uh, whatever was uh, decided by their parliament was revised until it was, I, I guess, beneficial or something. I, I'm not sure. But I, apparently she still has at least that power. So maybe she can step in, possibly. I, I don't know. Well, I'd like to think that if she could, she would. But given that um, Prince Charles is so closely linked to the World Economic Forum, and she has just named him as her successor, and that Camilla, his his wife, will be uh, queen consort. And again, that involves all of the Commonwealth. So soon you'll have king and queen consort of canada which would oh, be charles, charles and camilla uh, yeah yeah yeah, I, yeah. Was, uh, I was hoping we could avoid that but oh, all right well, I, yeah. I don't know if it'll take another regnal name because uh, i think the the charleses haven't had a really good record at keeping their heads once mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in in on the throne so yeah we'll see okay so, so this I, is- I don't know i don't know whether the queen would exercise those powers. This is Trudeau after he invoked the Emergency Powers Act. Measures we're taking today will help get the situation under control. The police will be given more tools to restore order in places where public assemblies can constitute illegal and dangerous activities, such as blockades and occupations as seen in Ottawa, the Ambassador Bridge, and elsewhere. These tools include strengthening their ability to impose fines or imprisonment. The government will designate, secure, and protect places and infrastructure that are critical to our economy and people's jobs, including border crossings and airports. We cannot and will not allow illegal and dangerous activities to continue. Illegal and dangerous activities to continue. They didn't really care too much when they closed your business. They didn't care too much when they closed your churches. They didn't care too much when they pulled your children out of school. They didn't care too much when they decided to put vaccine passports in to allow you to travel in between provinces of all things. All of a sudden now he seems to care about border crossings being closed and the city being closed. He is just a disgusting hypocrite. And he is, but that's not what concerned me. 
That's not what concerned me. That's not what bothered me about what happened yesterday. Yes, that's bad. Yes, that's bad. That, that's that's just terrible. He's following in the footsteps of his own father. Oh, yes. And when I say his own father, I'm not talking about Pierre. I'm not talking about that one. But his deputy prime minister, that's what concerned me. As a matter of fact, when Bruce and I were hearing this yesterday, he made me stop at about 30 seconds in because of where they're going with it. This obviously, I mean, we're, we're way past this being about health, but we can see now it's starting to come into focus what they're wanting to do. What's been the main target now? They need to get you on the digital ID system, right? You didn't do it with the vaccines. You didn't take it. And those of you that did take it, you pushed back on it. Now they have to come at you another way. What she says, I think that's what this is really all about. They needed an excuse for this, and now they have it. Remember, uh, what's her name? Uh, Cynthia Freeland or whatever her name is. She's another young global leader in Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum. Listen to this. And this is a few minutes long, but every word of it is very important. Pay very close attention because this is coming to a country near you. First, we are broadening the scope of Canada's anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules so that they cover crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use. Uh These changes cover all forms of transactions, including digital assets, such as cryptocurrencies. Uh The illegal blockades have highlighted the fact that crowdfunding platforms and some of the payment service providers they use are not fully captured under the Proceeds of Crime and Terrorist Financing Act. Uh Our banks and financial institutions are already obligated to report to the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Center of Canada, or FinTrack. As of today, all crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use must register with FinTrack and they must report large and suspicious transactions to FinTrack. This will help mitigate the risk that these platforms receive illicit funds, increase the quality and quantity of intelligence received by FinTrack, and make more information available to support investigations by law enforcement into these illegal blockades. Illegal blockades. We are making these changes because we know that these platforms are being used to support illegal blockades and illegal activity, which is damaging the Canadian economy. Uh, That continues, and I'll continue that in just a second. But I'd just like to point out that just before this started, there was a wire transfer of around 400 million Canadian to the banks in Ukraine from the government. I thought that would be relevant because Mm -hmm. in a minute she's going to say, follow the money. Well, it depends on what money you're following. The government will also bring forward legislation to provide these authorities to FinTrack on a permanent basis. Second, the government is issuing an order with immediate effect under the Emergencies Act, authorizing Canadian financial institutions to temporarily cease providing financial services where the institution suspects that an account is being used to further the illegal blockades and occupations. Uh This order covers both personal and corporate accounts. There it is. Third, we are directing Canadian financial institutions to review their relationships with anyone involved in the illegal blockades. That's called racketeering. And report to the RCMP or CSIS. As of today... 
a bank or other financial service provider will be able to immediately freeze or suspend an account without a court order. In doing so, they will be protected against civil liability Uh for actions taken in good faith. In good faith. Federal government institutions (laughs) will have a new broad authority to share relevant information with banks and other financial service providers to ensure that we can all work together to put a stop to the funding of these illegal blockades. This is about following the money. Oh, the hypocrisy. This is about stopping the financing of these illegal blockades. We are today serving notice. If your truck is being used in these illegal blockades, your corporate accounts will be frozen. Again, uh, somebody explain to me how this is not organized racketeering at the highest levels. It's absolutely despicable. And it means, you know, the average guy in the street who just supports you know the protest. You know that's coming right out of Davos. That's coming right out of Schwab. Yeah, yeah. Sure it is, because that's the, the, the digital world that, that Schwab has envisaged for us all, where through a crowdfunding website or you know business, someone gives 10 bucks because that's all they can afford. The next thing you know, their accounts are frozen, their assets are seized, they are persona non grata, they can't feed the family. And that is just a disgusting excuse for human beings stood there spouting that pure evil. And, th- and that's what it is. It, it On the face of it, lovely young woman with a nice speaking voice, or, although there is something irritating, a boot, saying a boot quite so often. Um, and her cadence. Uh, yeah. With some of the things, she, yeah. she came off as very antagonizing. I've, it could I've be, got, could I've be got something else. I'm just going to... Yeah, I'm going to roll some B-roll behind me of her before she went on. You guys, as just watching behavior, just uh-huh. take a look at, uh, just continue on. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's quite all right. I was going to say something terrible then. Oh, look, toss, toss. She's, <laughs> uh, look at me, aren't I lovely? I'm going to toss my hair. Am I showing enough cleavage? Well, you don't need to hear any uh, any audio with it. It's just, uh, it's just some no, I'm so- sorry. Yeah, sorry, listeners, but um, basically what, What's happening here is this this deputy prime minister is preening herself, getting herself ready to make this evil announcement. And she loves herself a lot. Oh, she does. It's that narcissism that you were talking about uh, amongst. I didn't the, want to uh, use the word the again, class. so I just thought I'd say loves herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but her, also- her, her cadence, Bruce, could be improved by my foot on her larynx. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. True. True. Uh, the other thing I was noticing there, I, I can't tell if she's trying to psych herself up because she's nervous or if because she can't breathe because she has a mask on. I think she's I, because if because you've she's, she's, she's taken a lot of deep breaths. She is. She's yeah. literally about to uh, about to stomp all over Canadians rights illegally. Uh, so and, and clearly they have no support, as in they have no other provincial support. They're standing alone with this. Uh, and I, quite frankly, I think what they're doing is illegal. This was put on the books back in the late 80s, I think, what they did. And it's never been used. They've never had a need for it. It's not even applicable to this, quite frankly. if you There, there was a Canadian civil rights group that came out and said yesterday that there is no precedent for them to even do this. They don't even meet any of the criteria of what it's all about. But why do they care about any of that? 
because they, they've just stomped all over the, the Canadian Constitution in doing all these mandates and lockdowns and everything. So why do they care about stomping on something else, uh, part of their system? That's a good point. They have to have something to back up the illegal orders they're going to give to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to do what they're going to do, to make the arrests. But again, they're putting the onus on the banks. And of course, who do the banks owe allegiance to? Certainly not their customers. They owe allegiance to the World Bank because they're the ones who are now holding all the other banks' debt. And so they will seize their assets. They will freeze their accounts. All right. Uh, we are at time here. As a matter of fact, we actually ran over. So I know you're uh, you're probably talked out, Marty. Yes. I am rather talked yeah. out. Thank you okay. for, for, for recognizing the fact. It's been an absolute pleasure to sit down with you this evening on a uh, on a Wednesday, uh, Wednesday afternoon podcast of all things. Uh, it's been uh, it's been lovely. Bruce, glad you made it. It's been a pleasure having you here as well. I know this is one conversation you really didn't want to miss. Again, we uh, we, we really didn't have a whole lot of uh, current events lined up. We thought we were going to talk about game theory today and just kind of see where it went. And uh, I think it went rather well, don't you? I think it's a, it's a subject that we could discuss further and we should perhaps apply it in our analysis of everything else that goes on to see mm -hmm. who's doing what in terms of their strategies. And it helps you establish who the good guys are. It does. It does, uh, and that's a great idea. Uh, I like that. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should start applying that uh, to all different uh, all different aspects that we discuss. Looking forward to that in the future. Final point, Bruce. I, I was going to say I agree with that um, analysis, and um, I think there's a lot more that we could could have gone over today if we would have had you know like a three hour show. I'm sure we could have filled oh yes those three hours with all oh, the yeah. content and, and our opinions on this. Certainly. For those of you who would like to drop us a line, we would love to hear from you. Please do so anytime by dropping us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. We love all of your feedback, good, bad, ugly, all the rest of it. Marty loves to hear from you. So uh, if you could put attention, Marty, on there, we'll make sure that he gets it. Marty does love the feedback, don't you, Marty? I do indeed. Please do. So I want to thank you guys for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a fantastic evening.